No other Savior. No other King and no other Savior would ever be willing to face and to fulfill all that we've seen and talked about and studied throughout this series in Isaiah 53 that we've been in now for five weeks. No other Savior would be able to. And that's especially true of what we look at and consider today in this final message on Resurrection Day. All the previous prophecies about Jesus and what He would do, what He would go through, they all come down to what took place on this day. And if these final prophecies had not been fulfilled, well, then it really wouldn't matter that any of the other ones had been. All the other prophecies could have come true, but if this one, if the prophecy surrounding the events that we celebrate today, Resurrection Day, if that hadn't been fulfilled, then nothing else would have mattered. In Isaiah 53, 10-12, we're going to come to a, a resounding conclusion of all the wonderful, specific prophecies we've considered. Look at that with me. Go ahead and, and turn in your Bible or bring it up on your screen. Isaiah 53, Verses 10 through 12 is what we'll consider together. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. In Isaiah 53, 10, the prophet records this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. That's Good Friday. That's what we just focused on, hopefully, on Good Friday, the suffering of our Savior. It was the Lord's will to crush Him and cause Him to suffer. And though the Lord makes His life an offering for sin, that was the whole purpose for Christ's crucifixion, He will see His offspring. That's the church, that's us, that He gave His life to create. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As he starts off in verse 10, the the word yet there, that connects back to the statements of Christ's innocence that we saw last week in verse 9, where the plan of of the, the Jewish leaders, the plan of the Romans, uh, was to bury Jesus along with the criminals just in a in a common disgraced grave. But God in His sovereignty, His Father in His sovereignty, made sure that He was buried in a rich man's tomb, a tomb of honor. And verse 9 tells us because He did no evil. He he didn't speak any deceit with His mouth. He was innocent. So the yet points back to that. That even though He Himself was innocent, though He did not deserve to be tried, He did not deserve to go to the cross, He had no sin in Him. He had no iniquity, but rather He bore our iniquity. And though that was true, though our Savior was innocent Himself, righteous Himself, yet it was still the Lord's will, the Father's will, to crush Him and to cause Him to suffer. The Romans nailed Jesus to the cross. They raised the cross up. Our sins held Him there. But don't, don't mistake the fact that it was His own Father that put Him on the cross and caused Him to suffer. 
And though He was the offering for sin that we all needed, yet Jesus, the promised one, would and did see His offspring. And that points to the resurrection. Verse 11 says this, after He has suffered, or in other words, died, this offering that He was for sin, it didn't end there. All other offerings ended when they were given. All other offerings for sin, all the way up to Jesus, once they were given, that was it. They were done. The lamb died. It was burned up. It didn't come back again. Jesus, though, the offering for our sin, the perfect, ultimate, final offering for our sin, verse 11 says, after He has suffered, after He has died, He will see the light of life and be satisfied. And what we just read at the end of verse 10 and here at the beginning of verse 11 is pointing to the miracle, the fact of His resurrection. And that's what we celebrate today. Verse, the second part of verse 11, the end of that verse says this, by His knowledge, and literally that's, that should be translated and it's better translated by knowledge of Him. By knowledge of Him. My righteous servant will justify many Are you in that category? Are you part of that many today that are able to be justified only through the justifier, Jesus? Only because He did rise again? Only because He wasn't done when He gave Himself as our offering for our sin? Do you have knowledge of Him this morning? I hope so. I pray so. By knowledge of Him, my righteous servant will justify many, and He will bear their iniquities. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 12.2 as being the joy that was set before Jesus on the cross that allowed Him to endure the cross. That's why Isaiah could rightly say in verse 10 that it was the Father's will, His good pleasure to crush Jesus. Why? Because it was accomplishing our redemption and our rescue. That's why the Father's will was to do that. That's why, as Hebrews 12.2 says, that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and with joy looked ahead. He knew what it was accomplishing. It was accomplishing our liberation, our rescue, our redemption, our hope, our eternal life. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, in other words, because of all that happening, because He willingly gave Himself as an offering for our sin, because He was submissive in that way, because He was obedient to the point of death, this is reminiscent of what Philippians 2 tells us. That because Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient even to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what, what is really being conveyed here in verse 12 of Isaiah 53. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. That's victory. That's victory. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession 
for the transgressors. Just insert your name right there. Put your name in that list because that's you and that's me. And like everything else that we've looked at in this amazing chapter in Isaiah 53, throughout our time in this, in this great chapter in this series, like everything else, God kept all these promises. Everything, everything was completely fulfilled as only God could do. And like we've done each time, each week, as we've looked at a, at a prophecy that Isaiah points to here in this chapter, I want us to see the direct fulfillment in the New Testament. So look with me at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 11. And we're going to see all that Isaiah prophesied here as he wraps up this incredible chapter directly and completely fulfilled by Jesus as only he could do. Luke 24, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1 says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And that tells us the resurrection wasn't on their radar at all. They were fully planning and preparing to come and anoint the dead body of their friend and their master, their teacher, Jesus. They expected to find a dead body, not an empty tomb. So they took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. Verse 2 says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, again, their, their minds were completely clouded over. Resurrection wasn't on their radar. They were wondering what in the world this could mean. What happened here? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember. Remember. Let the the fog in your mind clear away. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8 says, then they remembered His words. Have you remembered His words this morning? Is that your hope? Are you anchored to that blessed hope? The fulfillment of all the prophecy in Jesus? Not only did He come, not only did He die, but He came back to life again and lives forever for you and for me. They remembered His words. Verse 9 says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others, the whole assembly of, of Christ's disciples. Verse 10, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Verse 11, But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Pretty sad verse, isn't it? Pretty sad end of what had just occurred. 
And it's easy to listen to this and see them kind of in your mind and scratch your heads and shake your heads and say, goodness, what was their problem? How could they do this? How could this be their reaction when they heard all this? But let's not be too hard on the disciples for not believing that report. Even though it did fulfill what Jesus had repeatedly told them would happen, let's not be too hard on them. Let's not be too quick to judge. I mean, if we had seen firsthand what they had, would we have reacted any differently? If they had seen and witnessed all that they had surrounding Good Friday, surrounding all that Jesus went through? I mean, think about it. Just a short while ago, hours They had personally witnessed Jesus, their friend, their rabbi, die a horrible death. They had listened to the sound of the hammer driving the nails in his wrists and his feet. They had watched the Roman soldier thrust a spear up under his ribcage, piercing his heart with the blood and the the water, the fluid, the pericardial fluid flowing out. They saw all that. They witnessed all that. So let's not be too hard on them for not believing this unbelievable, to them at the moment, report. But thankfully, their part in the story and their reaction didn't end like that. It didn't end in that despair and that unbelief. I want to draw your attention to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20. You're welcome to turn there, of course, but you can just listen if you want. John 20, 19 through 20 sheds some light on this very bleak moment that we just read in Luke. John 20, verses 19 through 20 says this, On the evening of that first day, so a few hours have gone by in John's account here, on the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Why were they overjoyed? Because now now they believed They saw him in front of them and and they believed that report that had happened earlier that day from the women. Oh, so they were right. He, He did come back. He is alive. He's right here. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord and with this is obviously the fact that they believed. They believed. And later on in this same passage, even the most cynical, the most skeptical of their number, Thomas, whose claim to fame is the fact that he doubted. He said, well, you all may believe, but I will never believe unless I can put my hand in his wounds, see for myself the scars. And Jesus Jesus said, okay, go ahead. Here you go. And even Thomas, doubting Thomas as we refer to him, even he came to belief and said, my Lord and my God. Belief hope took over unbelief and despair. In 1815, Napoleon fought against England's Duke of Wellington in the Battle of Waterloo. 
and the people of England depended on a system using flag signals to hear news and developments of the battle. And late in the day of the battle of Waterloo, a messenger flashed the signal with his flags, Duke of Wellington defeated. And as that was being sent, one of those sudden thick English fogs rolled in and the the news of defeat quickly spread among the people. But not long after, after that message and those reports began spreading, not long after the fog lifted, and they saw that the message had six words, not four. The complete message was this, Duke of Wellington defeated the enemy. And it took only a few minutes for that good news to spread and change everyone's outlook. Sorrow was turned into joy. Defeat was turned into victory. And my friends, that's how it was when Jesus was laid in the tomb. Hope died that day in the hearts of Christ's followers because they saw Him die. The thick fog of fear and disappointment crept in and and it clouded their minds and they saw only part of the message. Jesus defeated. But, but when Sunday came, the fog started to lift and eventually they saw and believed the complete message. Jesus defeated death. Are you seeing the whole message today? Are you reading the complete story? And is it lifting the fog of your heart? It should. It should. The resurrection of Jesus. Oh, friends, the resurrection of Jesus was a death blow to death. That's what it was. Jesus wasn't defeated by death. No, He defeated it. And He gives that victory to us. He lets us share in that victory. And because He lives, if we're in Him... We can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15-55, Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. And that's good news. That's very, very good news. But, but, I want to make sure you're aware and you understand that the resurrection isn't just about life after death. The resurrection isn't just about life after death. Certainly that's part of it, but that's not all of it. It's about a restored relationship with God in this life. That's what the resurrection accomplishes. That's what it makes available. If it didn't, if Christ had not risen from the dead, then any sort of right relationship with God, any right standing before Him would not be possible. As important as the cross was, as vital as that was to purchase our redemption and our reconciliation, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all that would have happened on the cross would have been the death of an innocent person. That's all that it would have done. It would have been a a stirring and inspiring example of martyrdom, but that's how far it would have gone. No farther. Romans 4.25, the Apostle Paul says this, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. 
It was the payment for our sins. It was the atoning sacrifice needed for our sins. It was the offering that was necessary. He was delivered over to death for or because of our sins. So that's A. That's, that's part A. And was raised to life for our justification. That's part B. That's being made right with God. If you're justified, you're declared right. You're brought back into right standing. And that's what was accomplished here. You see, we needed both to happen. Jesus had to do both. He had to die, but He had to come back from death if we were to have any hope of justification before a holy and a just God. And this is just what we read in Isaiah 53, 10-11. That the Father was pleased to crush Him. It was His will to crush Him, to make Him an offering for sin. But after He made that offering for sin, Jesus saw the light of life. You see, both taking place. You see, what that means is this. The cross was the payment for our sin debt. And the empty tomb was the receipt. Aren't you glad for that today? Just like when you go to a store, you make any transaction, you take what you're purchasing, you pay for it, they take your payment and you get the receipt which says your money is good, your payment is good, your payment was accepted. It's complete. The transaction's complete. That's exactly what took place on Easter morning. It was a statement of God the just saying for all of eternity that Christ's resurrection proved that the full payment was fully accepted. The full payment was fully accepted. And as great as all of this is, as inspiring and and joyful as all of this is, we have to ask ourselves a question of a practical purpose. We have to ask ourselves, now what? Now what? Okay, that's great. That's wonderful. That's glorious, right? But, but now what? What do we do with that? What difference does that make on Monday? What difference does the really good news of Sunday, of Easter Sunday, make on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? How does this, how should this impact every day of our lives? That's the right question, isn't it? Don't you think? So what? Now what? Well, here's the now what. Here's the now what of all that we have just been reminded of. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Romans 6, verses 8 through 11. And the Apostle Paul says this. And it's really a challenge for all of us, It's, it's the result of all that is true about resurrection day because of all that Christ accomplished for us on the cross and through the empty tomb, here's what the result should be in how we live. Romans 6, 8-11, the Apostle Paul says this, And since we died with Christ, which is what happens when we come to Christ, the me we used to be no longer lives. When we come to Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we commit our lives to Him, There's this supernatural unification that happens. We are identified with His death. The death He died for us, we are identified with that. 
We're united with Christ in His death that He died for us. We die to self along with Him as if we were there on the cross with Him. The Apostle says, since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. So, as a Christian, when you come to Christ, you're united with Christ in His death, and you're united with Christ in His resurrection. You die to sin, you die to self, and you become alive again in and through the Lord Jesus. It says, so since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. So the resurrection is that verification. It's the validation of that hope, of that assurance that because He lives, we will live too. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. And He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, here's the really practical part, okay? Now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you also. Everybody pay attention to this part. Don't miss this. So you also. So Paul's connecting what happened with Christ, what's true of Him. He's connecting that to us and he's saying, that's how you should live. So you also, here it is, should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Christian, that's how we're supposed to live. Every moment of every day, with every breath, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to living in sin, dead to choosing sin, dead to the power of sin, because Jesus died to free us from it. And as Jesus rose again, and lives His life for the glory of God now for the rest of eternity, we are to do the same. We are to say no to self. No to living for ourselves. No to pursuing our own agenda. Yes to righteousness. Yes to holiness. Yes to living for God. And here's the really, really good news in that. You don't have to do it alone. And you can't. You can't do that on your own. You can't live that way by your own power and in your own strength. That's why the resurrected Jesus, the risen and eternally living Christ, gives you His very life in you to live that out. And He gave us the promised Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit of God Himself resides in you and me, if we're in Christ, so does the living Christ with all of His resurrection power. It's in you. It's available to you. So that you can do exactly what Paul challenged you to do. So that you can consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ. That's the message of Easter. And that's why Easter is everything. It's everything, every day, moment by moment. And without Easter, we would have nothing. And that's why it's so much more than pretty flowers and, and candy-filled eggs and new suits and dresses. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But Easter is so much more than that. 
It's so much more than that. It's everything. Let's pray and let's, let's just thank and worship our crucified and risen and reigning and returning King. Amen. Father, thank you for your word, the power of it, the relevance of it, the hope in it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Easter, for Resurrection Day, for Resurrection Hope, for Resurrection Power. Thank you for keeping all of your promises surrounding your Son, Jesus. Thank you for accomplishing every single aspect of why He was sent to us. Christmas paved the way to the cross. The cross was necessary for our redemption. But the cross wasn't the end. And it led to the tomb that was made empty, that proved that full payment for all of our sins was fully and forever accepted. Thank you. May we who are in Your Son, by the power of Your Spirit, die to sin every single day and live only for You in response to all You've done for us. And if there is anyone here who has not yet experienced resurrection life, resurrection power, may today be the day they step into the light of life out of the grave of death and sin. We pray all of this in the name of our risen and reigning and returning Savior, the name of the Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.